You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And we are continuing this morning in our sermon series called The Worshiping and Sending Church. And whereas we often like to preach through whole books of the Bible, we are instead preaching through passages of the Bible during this uh, series. And uh, we are looking at six values, six distinctives of a worshiping and sending church. This is, these are values uh, that we share with our international family of churches that exists around the world. It's called the Great Commission Collective, and we're a part of that family of churches. We want to uh, be able to, to speak the same language as they do, but most of all, we want to embrace the values that we embrace together. And uh, these are things that have existed in our church really since the beginning. Uh, they're nothing new to us, but we want to sharpen our focus on these things. We, we want to uh, take some time this summer to, to really dig in and say, are we pursuing these values? Are, are they uh, alive and active here? Because we believe the result of these values is a church who worships Christ. That, that we would be a church that is consumed with the glory of Jesus Christ, that we can't uh, fix our eyes on anything else, that we are so uh, fired up about who Jesus is, and that we would live our lives to Him alone. We sang it, He's all to us. May the, may the glory of Your name be the passion of this church. And then out of that worship, as we get our eyes fixed on Jesus first, Jesus first, then that we would be a church who is sending out laborers into the harvest field because we just can't help but tell others about who Jesus is. It's just a part of who we are. It's the wellspring of our hearts. And we want to be that kind of church. We want to be the church who has a front row seat to God at work in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. And so we've taken a few weeks uh, to sort of set this up, to, to look at how God prioritizes and values both worshiping and sending and how they work together from Psalm 96. Uh, one of our GCC partners, Jeff Hohenschel, uh, preached that message. And then last week, we looked at the, the book of 3 John, the whole book. We got one book covered in, a whole, in one day. I love that, right? And uh, we looked at how having common shared values can help us in our partnerships, both as members in a church and then uh, globally around the world. And so now we're really ready to dig into uh, what those values are. And and today we want to get into this first value, which is fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. You can fill that in on your notes. Each each one of these uh, values is going to have a little icon for you. And and so uh, that might help you. Uh, Hopefully by next week we're going to have a bulletin board out in the the lobby where you can uh, remember uh, these values Um, See, prayer has to be at the top of the list if we're going to see God work at all in our church. But notice, we aren't just going for prayer. Do you see that little word in front there? We're going for fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. The the word fervent uh, means heat. It means intensity. It means enthusiasm behind our prayer. That that we get fired up about talking to God. That we really care about prayer because we realize, first of all, who we're talking to. We realize how dependent upon Him we are. 
And we realize and believe and expect that He responds to His people when we pray. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that an amazing reality that God has set up in this world that when we talk to God, He's like, yeah, I'm all ears. When we come to God through Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that worships God with the way that we pray fervently for His glory to be revealed. So often when I'm a pastor, uh, when I, when, I'm sorry, when people find out that I'm a pastor, uh, they, they begin to ask me about my church. I mean, that's like kind of the natural response, right? And, uh, and so um, I, I love that because I love talking about you all. I love you all. And, uh, and so that's a, just a chance to, to talk about uh, what God is doing here. And uh, it's interesting, though, to me, what are some of the first questions that come out uh, when, when people ask about your church? Um, first, I almost always get asked, can you guess? How many people attend? How many people attend? And it doesn't really matter how I answer the question. The, the response is like, oh, that's a good number. Like, okay, well, what if I would have said, like, 50? Or what if I would have said 1,000? Would that have not been a good number? Like... <laughs> I don't really know what that means, uh, but I'm sure they're just trying to make conversation because pastors are awkward. <laughs> and then if the conversation makes it past that at all, uh, I get asked, like, do I have an old or young congregation? I don't know how to answer that either. Um, I get asked, how many kids do we have in our church? And what do we do for our kids' ministry? Uh, and usually when I, when I answer these questions, most people say stuff like, oh, kids in a church, that, that's a good sign that the church is healthy. And I'm like, I'm not denying the fact that our church is healthy, but I'm just wondering, like, is that really the indicator of health in a church? Like, is that really, like, the highest factor of, like, what we see is a good sign for a church? It's always interesting to me what, what people don't ask about. See, rarely do I get asked about how our church is applying the Word of God together. And rarely do I get asked about... Uh, how people, if there's some stories of people who have shared the gospel with the lost in our church. I could share those stories, but I don't get asked about them. And never, never once have I been asked how the prayer life of our church is. Never once. Really, that should be at the top of questions if we're trying to get to know the heart of a church. A church's prayer life reveals the activity of God in that church. It reveals that church's sense of dependence upon God, that they can do nothing apart from Him. And it reveals that church's expectation for God, that all that they want to see is God at work and nothing else. Nothing that they could do, nothing that they could accomplish on their own, only what God can do. We aren't so concerned about felt needs and entertaining programs all that stuff is a cheap trick compared to what God wants to do in a church. And as I read my Bible, and as I look especially at the book of Acts and at the New Testament epistles, the hallmark of the early church that I see is spirit-filled prayer. A.W. Tozer, um, he was speaking, of course, in hyperbole and not with exact numbers, but he once famously said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. 
What he's saying is that too many times in the church we can be too reliant on our own plans and pragmatism and programs and not reliant enough on prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is our duty, church, listen, it is our duty together to make sure that we are not that type of church. To make sure that we are looking at the right health indicators and that fervent prayer is at the top of the list. And so here's how I hope that we would respond to God's word today in Acts chapter 4. Fervently pray with dependent expectation to see the powerful work of God. Fervently pray with dependent expectation to see the powerful work of God. The story of the early church is a story of the Holy Spirit acting powerfully as the church prayed fervently. And today we want to go to Acts chapter 4 and see this impromptu prayer meeting that resulted in God's working powerfully through the church. Uh, Let me just set this up for you with a little bit of context because we never want to rip open God's word and not understand what's going on around it. Uh, So in Acts chapter 3, shortly after the church had been born and first established, uh, Peter and John, who are uh, two of the leading apostles, they walk into the temple to pray. And uh, the the early church met both, we read in Acts chapter 2, in the temple and in house to house. They had a big gathering and then they had smaller gatherings. Does that sound a little bit familiar, right? And, uh, And so... They, they met in both ways, and Peter and John are walking into the temple at the hour of prayer. I don't know if they're gathering with other believers or if they're still uh, worshiping with the other Jews, uh, but they're walking in at that point, and they see this lame beggar. And, and, and they, he's asking for, for alms, and, and he sa- they say, uh, we, we don't have any gold or silver, but we'll give to you what we do have. In the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I'll be like, that guy was like, okay, I'll take it. And he did. He did. He rose up and walked. And, and, and Peter looks around and he sees everyone gawking at him. And he's like, um, what are you all looking at? It's not like we did this in our own power. Hey, you remember that guy that you killed just a few weeks ago? Yeah, yeah that guy, um, Jesus of Nazareth, he's the one who raised this guy from the dead. It's by his power that this man is walking today. I'm sorry, you didn't raise him from the dead. By this power, this man is walking today. And right about now, Peter says, right about now would be a good time to start repenting. Because you're, you're seeing the power of God in front of you and you better repent. Repent, he says, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that Jesus might return and set up his kingdom. Come on, Israel, see your king. But of course, Israel's leaders, the, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, uh, they don't want to repent. They're, they're just greatly annoyed. They thought that they had dealt with this Jesus guy, but he just won't die. And so they arrest Peter and John, and they put him on trial the next day. And, and during the trial, uh, the guy who is healed is there with them, and he's, he's just standing there with them. And, and Peter gives the same answer that, to, the, to the religious leaders as he gave to the crowd in the temple. And he's like, he, he's like, we did this in the power of Jesus. That guy that you leaders rejected, he's become the cornerstone of our faith. Deal with it. And the council was astonished at how well they answered because they were perceived to be uneducated men, uh, but they, they couldn't do much about it because the, the guy that they healed was right there with them, and it was proof that their message was true and real. 
And so they basically just said, well, just, 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 just don't speak in the name of Jesus again. Just stop talking. And they threaten them and they release them. Now, at this point, do you think that uh, they're a little bit scared? I think that their church maybe is a little bit scared. Like, like just, just imagine, put yourself in this place. Imagine if Oak Hill had just been planted. Or even 11 years in, I don't think it matters. And imagine that Dwight and I had just been arrested for preaching the gospel in the middle of Good's parking lot. And we were roughed up a little bit. We were threatened. You keep doing this, and, and we're going to make it, your life miserable. We're going to make your life a whole lot worse. What do you think would be our response as a church? Would, it, would any of you be a little bit scared? Like, come on, be honest. Would you be scared? Would you think about throwing in the towel? Would you think about going down the street to another church that's a little bit less dangerous? Maybe not gathering anymore because you want to protect your kids. Can't have my kids around that. Or because you want to keep your job. I mean, if I lose my income, then what am I going to do? See, this is the first real test of the Christian community, and so let's take a look at their response. You ready to finally get into it? Been like, you guys have been like sitting on the edge of your seat with your Bibles open. I love that. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. When they were released, it's Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Stop there. They lifted their voices together to God. So they have just endured their first major trial as a church, one that would rock any church to its core, I am sure, to have your leaders in prison. And what is their first response? Prayer. Prayer. We're going to see them respond in fervent prayer with dependent expectation to see the powerful work of God. See, if we want to see the work of God, we need to be devoted to fervent prayer. If we want to be a worshiping church that is fixated on the glory of God, an ascending church that longs for the world to know and worship Him, we must be marked by a culture of fervent prayer. Now, of course, if we decided along the way that we just wanted to give all that up and make, take the easy road and just have our little programs and have our little Sunday services and, and do all the nice little neat things that you can do, uh, you know, have your little VBS programs and keep your kids happy and keep your families happy. If we, if we wanted to just do all that, uh, we wouldn't need fervent prayer anymore. We'd probably stop praying because we'd realize pretty quick that we could do it in our own power. But if we want to get after the things that God wants to do, oh boy, do we need fervent prayer. We get after God's purposes for us. Fervent prayer is the natural response of dependence and hope. And that's what we see happening in the early church in Acts chapter 4. As we look at their prayer, I want us to see three habits that will grow the fervency of our prayer life. Three habits that will grow the fervency of our prayer life. And the first is this, uh, fervently pray dependent on the character of God. Fervently pray, dependent on the character of God. We're going to go to prayer school uh, with the early church here this morning, okay? Um, notice the beginning of their prayer in, in verse 24. They lifted their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Stop there. See what they're doing? They fix their heart on the character of God. They acknowledge His sovereignty. That, that He is the Lord in ultimate control. That nothing happens outside of His decree. They acknowledge the reason and the scope of His sovereignty. That He is the sovereign Lord because He made. Because He created the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. That, that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Like, we got to believe that the, the doctrine of creation is really, really important. The doctrine of creation is fueling their prayer life here at this point. It sets their hearts on the size of the God that they're talking to. And they allow the size of their God to increase the fervency of their prayer. They, they don't start with the situation. They, they don't start with talking about all of the things that are going on around them. They start with their understanding of who God is. They're like, the thing that we need most right now is to acknowledge the One who is in control of all things. Now, now that's a pretty hard thing to do when you're facing some pretty intense things, right? When, you're, when your leaders have just been arrested and, and threatened, it's a pretty hard thing to center your heart on God's attributes. They're effectively saying, God, we know that what just happened was entirely in your control. Some of us would feel a little bit uncomfortable acknowledging that. That the painful things, that the scary things, are not outside of the control of God. And He allows them for the ultimate purpose of His glory in your life. But think about what else they're saying when they acknowledge God's sovereignty. They're saying, uh, you are the sovereign Lord, we are not. Your, your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. We surrender to your control. Uh, they're also saying, uh, these rulers who are threatening us and arresting us, they're not in control either. They are under your authority. God, You are ultimate. You are the Sovereign Lord. They're saying, we need to see, we can't, I'm sorry, we can't see the whole story right now, but we know the God who was there in the beginning, and we know the One who's going to remain standing in the end. See, the thing that we need most in our prayers is not the ability to say the right words or make the right requests, but rather to know the right God. The thing that we need most in our prayers is not the ability to say the right words or make the right requests, but rather to know the right God. This isn't some prayer that they thought about a ton before they gathered this prayer meeting. It's not like they were like, let's rehearse this prayer, let's write it down. No, no, no. This is an impromptu prayer meeting. They simply knew the one whom they believed and they were convinced that he was able. It was their habit, the overflow of their heart to acknowledge who they were talking to. And it was the expansive character of God that fueled their fervent prayer. We need to pray the character of God. Our prayers will only go as deep as we perceive God's character to be. A 19th century missionary to South Africa named Andrew Murray once said this. It's very instructive. 
He says, each time before you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in His glory. Think of what He can do and how He delights to hear the prayers of His redeemed people. Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things. This takes time and focus. And I'll be honest, like when I'm most busy, when my request list for God is longest and it's pressing in the hardest and I'm most stressed out, those are the times when it's hardest for me to slow down and worship God. Do you find that in your own prayer life? And yet, those are the times when it's most essential. You can think of it this way. I need the presence of God before I need the presence of God. Look up on the screen. You'll see it. We need the presence, the P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, the nearness of God, more than we need the presence, the P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, the gifts, the benefits of God. We need to seek His face before we seek His hand. Because it's only then that we will understand what His hand actually wants to do. And if you're struggling to pray fervently, if you're struggling to pray intensely, dependently, crying out to God, expecting Him to work, uh, then maybe your concept of God is too small. Maybe you've forgotten who you're talking to. And the deeper that we dive into the character of God, the higher we will soar in our fervency in prayer. The deeper we dive in God's character, the higher we will soar in our fervency in prayer. So here's a practical application for you, and, and I want you to think about this. Uh, not only in your private prayer life. Right now, you're probably thinking private a lot. But I want you to think about this also in your corporate prayer life. Uh, notice verse 24. They lifted their voices together to God. Together to God. And in our individualized American society, we love the, the idea of private. Uh, I, I, nobody has to hear me pray. Uh, I'm just going to do this in my own prayer closet. We love those words of Jesus. But by and large, the pattern in the Scriptures was praying together. Prayer was primarily corporate in the, script, in the New Testament church. And so here's a practical application for your prayers. As you begin to pray... Consider at least one attribute that you can acknowledge before God in worship. At least one attribute. And I, I've put a list of attributes of God in your bulletin so that you know what I'm talking about here. God is infinite. He's unchanging. He's self-sufficient. All-powerful. All-knowing. All-present. Wise. Faithful. Good. Just. Holy. Righteous. Merciful, gracious, glorious, sovereign, comforting. That's our God. But the goal isn't to just merely say the words like, i got to make sure i get the word in my prayer. The, the goal is to believe and interact with the character of God in prayer. Which attribute of God really speaks to that situation that you're facing? Worship God for His attributes as you begin your prayer. Excuse me. <coughs> Still getting over my sickness. And if you're leading a, a corporate prayer on Sunday morning, Matt did such a great job at this. Like He didn't even know I was preaching this, but he, he spent time just praying the attributes of God 
And, and as you're maybe praying and opening up the 11 a.m. women's discipleship class, pray the attributes of God before you're just praying just to get us into the class. And as you're praying in your gospel community, take time to worship the character of God by praying His attributes. We want a church who is consumed in our attention with the glory of God, and we want to be a worshiping church. And we see His glory when we see His character. That's what drives fervent, dependent, expectant prayer. That's what prepares our hearts to see the powerful work of God. Pray the character of God. But then they didn't just stop there. They also prayed the Word of God. That's our second point today. A fervently pray dependent on the Word of God. Look at verse uh, 25. Pick it up a little bit in 24. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who, through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So as they're watching this situation play out in front of them, uh, it causes this scripture to come to their mind. Uh, Psalm 2. And they include this psalm right into their prayer. Uh, Psalm 2 is a pretty cool psalm. It's one of my favorites, actually. Uh, It's a coronation hymn. It it was meant to be sung at the crowning of the Davidic king, probably first written for Solomon's crowning. And it goes like this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is the part that I love. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of His decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So the church remembers this scripture and they understand it in its proper context. That They're like, hey, wait a minute. Jesus is the anointed king who sits on David's throne. They understood that God had come in the flesh, born of a virgin, born, listen, in the line of David. This was God's plan from all along. And they understood that he was baptized by John the Baptist. And at the same time that he was being baptized, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And a voice spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. It's another reference to Psalm chapter 2. And that anointed king, they remember, just a few months prior to this moment, they remember him riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey proclaiming peace and victory for His people. But by the end of that week, the rulers of Israel had rejected Him and delivered Him over to the Gentiles to be crucified. The Gentiles were raging. But the real twist in this story is that not only were the Gentiles plotting, but also God's own people were plotting against their anointed king. What a tragedy! 
But they were plotting in vain. They were plotting in vain because the cross that they nailed him to was actually Christ's act of war against God's enemies. Not Israel's physical enemies, but with the enemies of our soul, that ancient serpent, the devil. And while we lost that battle to Satan, sin, and death, and because of that we deserve eternal death, separated from God because of our sin, because while we lost that, Christ conquered the grave and won the victory over Satan, sin, and death, and He ascended on high, and He is right now seated at the right hand of God on the throne of heaven, waiting to come again to judge the living and the dead. Praise the Lord. That's the gospel that we believe. That's the gospel that they were staking their hope upon in this prayer. And it's the gospel that we preach here at Oak Hill. And it's the gospel that we all need to embrace fully by faith. And if you have never embraced that gospel, if you are are just kind of indifferent to Jesus, or if you are just kind of keeping Him at arm's length, listen, He is the one who's coming again. He is the King of Heaven. You are not. And you need to get off your throne and you need to realize that He is on the throne. It's that gospel revealed in God's Word that gave the early church hope. And that gives us any source of hope today. They're all like, this is what God said would happen in His Word. And we're seeing it play out right before our eyes. Like, like, notice as they pray, they respond to the psalm with the things that are burdening them. They, they acknowledge that both Herod and Pontius Pilate, these Gentile rulers, are against the anointed one. That's not exactly what sparked this prayer meeting, but they realized that that was part of it, right? And the real kicker is that Israel is against the Lord's anointed one too. And as they prayed the word of God, it had a stabilizing effect on their prayers. See, as they prayed the Scriptures, God was speaking to them even as they spoke to Him. They were praying His words back to them. Uh, They even acknowledged that in verse 25. Uh, David said it, but who did he say it by? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. So, uh, I have this tendency that I have to really guard in conversation and be kind to me right now. Uh, But I have to guard against talking over people. Because um, my mind moves really, really fast and, and I just like, they say something and it triggers something in my mind and I just want to like interact with them on that, but they're not ready. And so they're like, um, you know, I'm still back here talking and you're now talking over me. And so uh, I just need to learn to shut my yapper. And, and I think that most of us would realize that prayer is simply talking to God. Except when we pray, we often dominate the conversation with our own words, don't we? We often spend a ton of time talking and and little time truly hearing the voice of God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not telling you to sit there quietly and empty your mind and try to hear some audible voice or, 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 or pay attention to some random thoughts that pop into your head. That stuff is fickle. Like, that's just not all that helpful. I'm saying ask the Spirit of God to bring His Word to your mind. Acknowledge what you, what you know the Word says about what you are praying. As you pray who God is and what He's done. We can know that we've heard from God when we engage with His Word in our prayer in an appropriate way. 
And so perhaps if, you're, if your prayer life is lacking fervency, if you're like, I, yeah, I mean, I pray, but it's not intense. It's not, I don't, I don't feel like I care that much about it. Uh, maybe because it's because you're doing all the talking. Perhaps you, you've said all you can say, and it doesn't change anything because you aren't responding to what God has to say. And our prayers need to be led by the Word of God, the Scriptures. Uh, this has been a goal of ours in our gospel communities for the past few months now. And I want to make sure that we're, we're making this a priority. I want to keep calling us back to this. Uh, we're, gonna, we're going for spirit-led, scripture-fed, worship-based prayer. Spirit-led, scripture-fed, worship-based prayer. And that's what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 4, isn't it? And I've heard from many of you that this has greatly benefited your prayer times in your gospel communities and your perspective on why you're there for that night. And I hope that it's also changing your personal and corporate prayer life as much as it is mine. That, that we gather together to encounter a living God. That when we talk to God, we are hearing from Him just as much as we are talking to Him. He speaks to us through His Word and we respond to Him in prayer. And your gospel community leader, I'm sure, is doing a great job of preparing a specific scripture for you. Uh, but I would challenge you in this. I would challenge you to allow yourself to pray other scriptures that come to mind to you as well. As you're reading through the Word of God throughout your week, respond to God in prayer. Uh, allow those things to saturate your heart. Develop a conversation about God that exposes your faith in what He has revealed. And then carry that with you when you gather with people from your gospel community. And I guarantee you, it's going to take your prayer life to new depths of encountering God. The church in Acts chapter 4 is just praying what is already in their heart. The scriptures was already in their heart. This was a psalm that they would have sung in their Jewish homes growing up. They, they probably knew it well. And so they look at their situation and the Spirit brings this psalm to their mind and they allow it to fuel their prayer. And so make this a discipline in your prayer life. Make it a discipline in your prayer life. Don't settle for merely you talking to God. Listen to God in His Word. Take time to open up God's Word and pray it back to Him. Start with the Psalms. Just work your way through the Psalms. Now, in order to do this effectively, uh, we have to understand the Scriptures properly. In Acts chapter 4, they're praying the Scriptures, but they're also interpreting the Scriptures as they pray them. They're seeing God's Word as one big unfolding story of which they're just a part. By the way, uh, we're going to be doing a, a sermon series in the fall uh, called God's Story, My Story. And, uh, and we want to spend some time understanding the unfolding of Scripture. And we're going to spend some time even reading together, like a reading plan. Uh, and you'll want to prepare yourself for that to get started in the fall. But they're seeing their, God's Word as one big unfolding story of which they were just a part. And they see that this psalm was pointing not just to King David or to one of his immediate sons, uh, but that this psalm was ultimately fulfilled in King Jesus. He's the anointed one of God. Notice that they also stop at an interesting point in the psalm. They stop short of the judgment section. They, they stop at recognizing that the nations are naturally going to rise up against God, but they don't continue on to the part that God laughs and the nation's going to and he's going to judge the nations. They, they don't go into that part. I think that would have been completely natural and expected, but, but look at how they continue in prayer. Uh, pick it up in verse 27 again. 
Uh, for truly in this city they were, they were gathered to get together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they understand that the anointed one has taken his throne. They understand that the nations are against them, but they also understand that the judgment of God is still at a time fixed in the future. It's not time for all that yet. And they understand that now is the time for God's message to go out in boldness. How, how do they know that? Uh, because Jesus had, had just said that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth, and they had only made it as far as Jerusalem. They hadn't gotten to the ends of the earth yet. They hadn't fulfilled the mission yet. There was more work to be done. And so the worship of God's character set their dependence on God's word which then filled them with a sense of expectation that God was going to keep working His plan. That's the last habit of fervent prayer that I want you to see today. Uh, fervently pray expectant for the plan of God. Fervently pray expectant for the plan of God. Notice verse 28. The Gentiles and the leaders of Israel are gathered together against your anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They understood that all of this was just part of God's plan. It started with His character from the beginning of creation. It was proven through His Word, revealed through King David, and now it's being played out in real time in front of their eyes. And so they could, say, they could say, look upon their threats and take them out. They could have said, look upon their threats and change their minds about persecuting us. They could have said, look upon their threats and give us safety. But what do they say? They say, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We know their threats are going to continue. We, we even know that this could be cause pain and suffering. Just give us the boldness to face whatever comes our way. Just praying that prayer is a miracle itself. Just that they would pray that prayer is a miracle. They understand that suffering for the name of Jesus is just part of the plan of God. They also continue their request. They say, while do... The, Give us boldness, and while we speak boldly, we also ask you to heal and do signs and wonders that prove that Jesus is greater than his enemies. Like, do you expect God to work in powerful ways? Remember what they had just seen happen. A lame guy was healed. And because he was standing there beside them at the trial, the council couldn't do anything to him. He was proof that the message was true. And so they weren't just asking God to heal people so that they would feel better and have a more comfortable life. They were asking God to heal people so that there would be more glory given to God as Jesus Christ was believed upon. Such an important understanding. 
If we're going to pray expectantly, we have to know and understand God's plan. So one of the biggest phrases that we're working on eradicating in our house right now is, is this response that when we ask our kids to do something, um, the phrase, uh, no, but I just want to do this, <laughs> followed by a reiteration of whatever thing that we're correcting them about. And uh, it's a major problem because it shows a sense that, that one of my children, who isn't, isn't named and isn't in this room, uh, thinks that they know better than mom and dad and what's best for the whole family. But, we, but don't we often say the same things to God in prayer? Don't we often say the same things to God in prayer? God says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. And we pray, No, but I just want you to take away the trials as fast as possible. God says, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And we pray, No, but I just want you to make me feel safe. God says, Go into the world and make disciples. And we pray, no, I just want my kids to be well-behaved. No, I just want more people to come to us in our church. God says, I use the weak things of the world to shame the strong and the foolish things of the world to confound the weak. And we pray, no, but I, I want this thing that makes me feel successful. If we're going to pray expectantly for the plan of God, we have to actually understand the plan. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, everything that you think you need, all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God will give us everything that we need, everything that we need to fulfill His plan of building His kingdom. He has not promised to give us everything that we need to fulfill the plans of building our own kingdoms. You see the difference in that? Do you understand the difference? Do you understand that God doesn't just call you to call yourself a Christian? He wants you to seek the glory of Christ in your life. He doesn't just save you by grace so that you can coast your way into heaven when you die. He saves you by grace to free you and empower you for the life that you were meant to live, for good works that He provided, prepared beforehand before the foundation of the world. He doesn't just want you to come to church programs and sign your name on some membership form. He wants you to participate as a member of His body in, your, in the church, speaking the truth and love to one another, building one another up in the faith, exercising your spiritual gifts. That's His plan. And if you find that your prayers lack in fervency, that you lack motivation and intensity, check to see if you are expectant, if you are eager to see God's plan fulfilled or your own. Because our, our plans fail to satisfy. They, they fail to fill the heart with true awe for the reason that we were created. But His plan, listen, His plan is never boring. I heard somebody say recently, I can't remember which pastor, but uh, if you're bored as a Christian, I think Jeff said it on Sunday, if you're bored as a Christian, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. 
when we stop striving for our own plans and we start seeking His, He starts to do awesome, supernatural things. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. There is an awesome sign that God heard their prayer. Can you imagine like we're praying and all of a sudden the ground, like the earthquake, the room just starts shaking. Like, we'd be pretty freaked out by that, but we'd be like, I think God's hearing. But I believe that there's an even greater miracle than that in this verse. I personally believe that it's an even greater miracle that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they went back out and spoke the Word of God with boldness. And listen, it wasn't just Peter and John who went back out this time. It's not the guys who who only had the guts to go into the temple in the first place. No, it says, what does it say? They all, they all went and spoke the Word of God. They all picked up their part in God's plan. God was eager to answer this prayer that was dependent upon His character, that was dependent upon His Word, and that was expected for His plan. He was eager. And as we pray fervently as a church, we need to understand the plan of God and expect that God will work when our hearts are focused on His plan. We don't just pray our plans and then expect God to get on board with our plans. We don't rattle off our list of desires and then expect Him to give us whatever we want. We pray His plans. God, these are the priorities that You've set for us. These are what You've made known to us. Lead us in Your plans. These are the ways that we think that You're leading. Guide us to the next step of that. We don't want to go forward if if it's just our plan. We only want Your plan. And when we do, we can expect Him to work in some awesome ways. And so as we come to a close here, I want us to think about some things that we're praying about as a church right now. Uh, On Thursday night, we were discussing with the the men uh, in our leadership development uh, this challenge that we have of needing to multiply gospel communities and needing the right leaders and and, uh, needing enough leaders and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that is something that we need to be praying fervently about in our church that we're not just like twisting guys' arms to like, you know, well, we need enough leaders, so you're going to become a leader. No, no. That God would be stirring up by His Spirit men and their wives who want to lead in His church. And who want to have a heart for shepherding others and, and to facilitate discipleship and care of God's people. And if He wants to change the way that we do that, and, and he, he, has, he shakes us up even more, like we want to just be postured in prayer, ready for that. We're, we're praying for a worship leader, right? And, and we believe that this is something that God has, has put on our hearts, uh, but we, we believe that God uh, loves for His people to sing, that He's told us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And we believe that there's a precedent set in the Old Testament with the Levites that, that there were those set apart for the task of leading musical praise skillfully to the Lord. And we're praying for God to lead us to the right person, though, because we want somebody who has a heart for, as a, 
for being a disciple-making disciple of Jesus. That first of all, they're a disciple of Jesus. And then that they use their love for music to make disciples of Jesus. That's the type of person we want. We don't just want anybody who can play guitar. That's why it takes so long, right? We're praying for a building. But in our prayers, we, we always need to remember that the church is more than a building, right? That these posts may be annoying, but this is, this is us. Like, this is, this is the church. And a building is a resource that God wants us to steward wisely if you were to give it to us. We need to be praying about our evangelism in the community. That we would be filled with boldness. Like what if each one of us prayed fervently every single day based on the character of God and the word of God to show us someone he wants us to share the gospel with. To go ahead of us and open hearts in miraculous ways so that when we speak the gospel they're just ready for Jesus. What if we prayed fervently and expecting that He would do it to give us boldness that we need when we need to speak up? I, I believe that God is going to work in awesome ways. I believe that we would be able, like, unable to keep the baptismal tank empty. The last thing that I want to mention is a, is a, a church planting cohort, a, more of a global mission, as well as a mission trip to one of our partners. And again, we, we see... We, we, we believe that the Lord is leading us in this direction, but we don't know where, and we don't just want to say, all right, here's a list of opportunities. Let's just pick that one. Here's a map. Let's just throw darts at it until we figure out where we want to go next. In Acts chapter 13, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then, guess what? They fasted and prayed more before they even sent them out. And they commissioned them in a spirit of prayer, seeking the Lord. And that's what we're seeking the Lord to do. We believe that when we get after the worship of God, and we get after fervent, heartfelt prayer, we believe that's what He does. He sends His people out. And I can't wait to see the ways that God is going to move us and shake us as we get fervent in prayer these are things that I'm calling us to sustained, concerted, fervent prayer over, especially as we work through this series, but then beyond until God gives us clarity in whatever they are. Maybe He says no, maybe, maybe He says wait, maybe he, and we keep praying, and maybe He says yes, and here you go. But we are calling you to fervent prayer in these matters. And in this, we don't just want to see the results. Ultimately, I, I want these things because I believe God wants these things, and I just want to see God. Is that what you want? I just want to see God work. Like Katie has been talking to me lately. Uh, like, like I'm just, I just really want to see the, the, the awesome works of God in our church. And we have seen some of them. But I think we can see even more as we get to go get, get on our knees in fervent prayer. And so what I want us to do right now is I want to, I'm going to ask a few of you to pray for these specific things. I'm going to ask you to pray, and then I'm going to have us all get on our knees before the Lord. So, 
Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.